Morning, folks. Morning. Morning. Good stuff. Um, it is an absolute privilege to be here this morning once again with my church family, but also to see so many new faces as well. Welcome, Nayafara, uh, Amara, got that right, haven't I? Yeah, brilliant. Lottie, welcome you as well. Beth, welcome back as well. Akko, it's, it's, a it's just a blessing to see you again, mate. It's really great to have you back here, mate. It really is. Um, wasn't worship this morning, brilliant. Didn't Elizabeth and Matty lead that so well? even though Matty's string popped in the middle of the first one. And I don't know if everyone noticed, uh, I was getting well into it. Threw my hand up the first time and nearly knocked out your husband. Um, <laughs> so I do apologise, you might have a bit of a scar on him, so I'm sorry about that. We're in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. Um, can we turn there, please? We're going to read verses 1 to 5. Verses 1 to 5. Neil's been uh, walking us through 2 Timothy. Uh, we've been seeing how uh, Paul the Apostle has been imploring Timothy to keep uh, persistent in the preaching of the gospel and we're going to continue looking at uh, what Paul has to say to his uh, young um, prodigy I suppose in, in, in Timothy what he has to say to him this morning it's really powerful stuff so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go through it together let's read the passage and then we'll crack on I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus this is Paul speaking to Timothy who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let me read that last, ver last, last verse again. As for you, Liberty Church, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry i'm going to read a synopsis from one of my favorite films <laughs> because i think the um i think the story in it is actually quite useful for us this morning let's see if you know what film i'm talking about jack hall an american paleoclimatologist and his colleagues frank harris and jason evans drill for ice core samples in the larsen ice shelf for the noaa when the shelf breaks apart Jack warns of impending global warning at the UN conference of New Delhi, but US Vice President Raymond Becker dismisses his concerns. Professor Terry Rapson, an oceanographer at the Headland Centre in Scotland, befriends Jack over his views of the inevitable climate shift. When several buoys in the Atlantic Ocean show a severe ocean temperature drop, Rapson concludes Jack's theories are correct. Now, a massive storm system develops in the Northern Hemisphere, splitting into three gigantic hurricane-like superstorms above Canada, Scotland, and Siberia. The storm pulls frozen air from the upper troposphere, no idea what these words mean, into the center, flash freezing anything caught in their eyes with temperatures below 150 degrees. Is it Fahrenheit? Or Celsius, we'll go 100 Celsius, okay? Meanwhile, the weather worsens across the world. Tokyo is struck by a giant hailstorm. Sea levels in Novia Scotia rise 25 feet in, in seconds. And Los Angeles is devastated by a tornado outbreak. 
New York is soon caught in the North American storm and the weather becomes progressively more violent, resulting in a massive storm surge flooding Manhattan. This forces Jack Hall's son, Sam, his friends and many other Manhattaners to seek shelter at the New York Public Library. In the library, most of the survivors decide to head out into the storm to seek refuge away from Manhattan, despite Sam's warnings. Only a few survivors end up taking heed of Sam's advice to stay put, burning books to stay warm as the temperatures plunge. The people who left the library perish in the cold. Does anyone know what film that's from? I've got a few nodding heads. Go on. I can't remember the name of the film, I watched it. You've watched it? <laughs> Beth, you know what it is, go on. The Day After Tomorrow. The Day After Tomorrow, real life event. No, it's not really at all. But I love, there's a, there's a brilliant scene which I described at the end there where Sam is imploring people to listen to the warnings. He knows through the knowledge that he has, the truth that he has from his dad, who is a paleoclimatologist, um, that if anyone ever goes out into that storm, they will perish. And there's a scene where he's in the library and this, this one man, this um, uh, some security guard who's taken on the position of leader and he says we need to leave Manhattan we need to we need to go and find refuge elsewhere and you'll be safe bring your family bring your kids you'll be safe it's better for us than staying here in the library and Sam with the truth that he has he stood there in the midst of everyone and he implores people to listen and what do people do apart from a handful of people they walk away and they go out and they perish the scene Sam sh shows Sam imploring men and women, boys, girls, pensioners, homeless people, civil service persons to stay in the shelter of the library, but largely to no avail. Only a small number stay, heeding Sam's words. And this feels very similar, I suppose, and without the cold weather, to Timothy's situation. He is fighting against a tide of doubt and unbelief. He's seeing people leave the church in front of him wandering from the truth and seeking a different gospel when we talk about gospel that word means the good news of jesus christ they're seeking something other than jesus something that will satisfy their own desires listening to people who they think will lead them to a better truth or way no doubt timothy being a steward and a shepherd of the church in, in ephesus this is where he is is feeling discouraged and what does paul say to him preach the word fulfill your ministry Paul calls him to this and my prayer this morning is that we would take on those words ourselves let's let's pray before we before we begin father god thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word and i just pray that you would help us as believers if we're believers here to understand our calling as believers that you have opened our ears to the beauty of the gospel and that we must share this beautiful gospel for those who aren't yours here this morning if there is anyone i pray that you would open their ears and they would hear the beauty of jesus christ we pray this in your name amen so last week neil took us through chapter three and the beauty of the word of god paul ended the previous passage talking about scripture and its authority and that timish timothy should value scripture above all things as a preacher of the word it says in 
Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. First of all, it comes from God. God is perfect. He's the creator. So therefore, whatever he says in this book of ours here, in this book of his, is perfect. And we should take it as the words of God and that it is fruitful for us. He says that it is profitable, that it is beneficial to us. So Paul implores Timothy that this is profitable and beneficial, not just for him, but for the people who are under his care. Paul begins chapter four, showing the clear link, the distinct link between God's holy word, the scripture and teaching because he's a preacher. So as a preacher, as a minister, as a admonisher of the church, he needs to know that the scripture is what he must base his teaching off. And we are so blessed to be in a collective of churches that prioritizes the word of God, aren't we? That scripture is held up as the living word of God. Uh, that is a, something we must never take for granted, isn't it? So Paul, uh, he makes this distinct link that scripture and teaching are so important to discipleship, to admonishment, and to evangelism of the church in Ephesus that Timothy must do as a leader. In some versions of the Bible, we, we go from the ESV, but in other versions of the Bible, great versions of the Bible, there's a lot of them put the word therefore before verse one. And that just shows that there's this big link between the two, between scripture and teaching. Paul is adamant that for Timothy to guide his church well and be a beacon in the darkness, darkness of Ephesus, it is to lead them with the word of God. If you know what Greece was like back then, um, you would know that there were many earthly philosophies going on at the time. There were many ideas that you could build your life around human reason rather than going from God's word. And that's what we see here. But Paul is saying, we don't go from an earthly philosophy. We don't go for any self-help, live your best life attitude. We must listen to the word of God. So let's just read verse one again. Therefore, I charge you in the presence of God, of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, verse two, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching that first part of the verse, I charge you in the presence of Christ Jesus, uh, of God and Christ Jesus. Paul is charging Timothy with the importance of this great task, isn't he? He, he says that he charges him in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. And that he will judge the living and the dead. He's saying that this is of cosmic importance. Yeah, this is something that is an eternal importance. And I think off the back of hearing that, we must pray all the more for our church leaders, mustn't we? Um, for Neil, uh, for uh, Robbo and Paul, uh, for Josh and Matthew over on the Wirral, uh, for all the elders that are involved in leading our churches. We must pray for our, our leaders of the church daily that God would keep them and teach them and would lead them in serving the church. 
Verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And what what Paul is saying to Timothy here is that this is all about the building and nurturing and discipleship of the church. The charge is to rest his ministry on the word, on the scriptures, in season and out of season. What does Paul mean by that? It means to continue to preach in all times. Timothy will notice that with people walking away from his church, that this might be a time where it feels like he's out of season, where the things are out of season. If you have this picture of a tree, uh, we're in autumn at the moment, aren't we? And no (coughs) fruit will grow on a tree during the autumn period, will it? But then in the springtime, I hope I've got that right, it's not the summertime, I don't know. The springtime, you'll see an apple tree bear fruit. And Paul's saying to Timothy here, whatever the season, whether you feel like there's lots of growth around you, or whether there is very little growth around you and you are discouraged, Paul's telling Timothy, keep preaching the word, keep preaching the gospel. The Lord will provide the fruit in his perfect time. So keep preaching, Timothy, is what Paul is telling him. And we can listen to that as well. This is going, it's kind of touching on another point that I'm going to go on to later, but I want to share it now because I'm, I'm, I'm in the rhythm of saying it anyway. Keep preaching the word, Liberty Church. Uh, keep preaching the word in your own individual lives, whether you are, feel like you're in season or out of season, whether they are fruit or not, keep preaching. Why does Paul implore Timothy to be so earnest in his protection of the flock then? Why is, Ti- why is Paul so desperate for Timothy to remain steadfast on the word? Well, I've got three um, things that I'm going to go through today. Uh, I've got three titles, so that might help those of you who make notes. The first one, which tells us why Paul is telling Timothy to remain so protective of the flock and to continue to preach to the people around him in Ephesus is because there are things that are fatal distractions. Thank you, Elizabeth. Fatal distractions. In every culture, in every time period, there are fatal distractions for human beings. Um, Ephesus uh, was no different. Uh, So just give you a bit of background for Ephesus. I said Greece before. I apologize. It's in Turkey. I've got it in my notes. I knew that. Um, Ephesus was the most important city in Western Asia Minor, modern Turkey. It was known as the mother city of Asia. It had a population of around 200,000, 250,000 people. This was a big city. This had a lot of people there. Um, we, I, I always used to think that, you know, the cities, a city back then would have had maybe a couple of thousand. This was a massive city. Um, and you can, you can see exactly why Paul decided to plant a church here. It was prime, uh, it was prime for the gospel. There were many people there. It was situated on an island and an inland harbour linked by a canal to the river Caister, which flowed into the Argaean Sea. Uh, it was a crossroads for major trade routes. So it attracted people from all over the world. This was a prime uh, place for the gospel to, to, to be planted. And that's why Paul planted it, that church there. But what sort of distractions would be in that sort of place? Does, first of all, does that place not sound familiar? I think that sounds very familiar to our city, Liverpool. I think there's so many similarities there. Big city, 
um, harbour town, people from all over the world. Um, which These are amazing things about our city, an amazing thing about Ephesus. But what were the fatal distractions? You can probably think of them yourself, but here's a list of them. One, wealth. Fatal distraction of people living in Ephesus would have been wealth, prestige. This being one of the greatest cities in the world at that time, people would have been proud about their, um, their, their city. Relations. Uh, we know what the temples were like back then. I don't have to go into too much detail about that. The uh, prostitution uh, that would have been about the relations between people and the varied relations between people. These would have been fatal distractions to the people there. The worship of multiple gods. You can imagine uh, all these people coming in from different parts of the world and they would have been bringing their own gods and you can see how difficult it would have been for believers who were challenged with these distractions and the people who lived in Ephesus where they were saturated in these fatal distractions and again I asked that question does this sound familiar? It does doesn't it? Liverpool, Lark Lane it's exactly the same this is our culture. So there's no difference between then and now. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, everything in humanity runs the same course. Why is that? Because humanity's heart, the human heart, has always sought something other than the creator. Hasn't it? The human heart is born in rebellion to God. We are born in rebellion to God, folks. We are born distant from God. Verse 3, what does verse, verse 3 say? It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Verse 4, And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul is warning Timothy of the danger of outside voices to his people, to his flock, and the deceitfulness of the human heart in hearing only what it wants to hear. That's a key thing in this message this morning that I believe God wants us to hear this morning, is that human hearing desires to hear anything that is opposite from God. When we're born as human beings because of original sin, because of the depravity of human hearts, what do we want to hear? We don't want to hear about God. We want to run from God. Our natural tendency is to pick those distractions, those fatal distractions. The apostles have shared the sound teaching inspired by God to these people, the early church. But Paul warns how oh, that's not going to be enough for so many members of this early church that Timothy sees people walking away and also the people of Ephesus they want something different other than God for many the worldly things that Ephesus had to offer was too great a draw members of the church Paul warns will fall under the barrage of falsehoods that would uh, that the world would offer them listening to myths listening to things that would satisfy their itch Paul uses this word they had listened to false things. And folks, that's the same for us today. The church is being assailed by these distractions. And we have to be on guard. We have to listen 
to the word of God. This perfect word. This is better than anything that the world could ever offer us. Because it speaks of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's far greater than anything the world can ever offer us. But Paul says that to Timothy's church there are people who will fall. And there will be people who in Ephesus will reject the gospel because the world offers things that they seem to think is more beautiful. He says that there will be false teachers that will offer these things. Just like that story with Sam in um, the day after tomorrow uh, where that man is preaching to people and trying to get them to follow him. There will be people like that in the church, in Timothy's church, drawing people away and drawing them into darkness. Anything away from Jesus is darkness. Anything that isn't rooted in Jesus is darkness. And people choose darkness. That is the tendency of human hearts. They had wandered from the truth and the authoritative word of God. I want to pull on that word that Paul uses in his passage. He uses the word itch. And some of us just hearing that word, we're all sat there maybe like, oh, I've got a bit of an itch, kind of feel that itch at the moment. Has anyone ever been bitten by an insect? Yeah? Maybe walking through, uh, I've been walking through the countryside a little bit recently. Um, so down in Chesterfield, it's beautiful over there. Um, but if you ever walk through long grass uh, with shorts on, and then you come out the other side, and then your legs are all, they've got these red spots on them, and you've been bitten. Ugh, it's horrible. The desire, what's the desire to do? What's the initial desire to do? Scratch. It's to scratch it, or to itch it. So, ah. So I'm getting itchy just thinking about it now. The desire to, is to itch it, but what happens when we itch it? Gets worse. gets worse, doesn't it? And when we itch it, if we continue to itch it, it becomes a wound. Without treatment, it could become infected. The itch is so bad that it becomes a wound. It becomes something nasty. And Paul is relating this to the hearing of the people. The hearing of the people of Ephesus who are not walking with God. The people of the church who are drawn away by these fatal distractions. They get this itch. They want something different. They want something that's going to satisfy their uh, sinful human desires. And he says this itch is so bad. He says that they accumulate. They accumulate teachers to justify their desires. We can see that in our society today. We can see that in our church today as well, sadly. These itches of finding affirmation in so many other things than God. Here's a list of just a few. Social media. The Social media is a... I, I am so bad for looking at my phone. I'm really bad. I've noticed that over the past few weeks. I um, And you can see how people get drawn away. Their minds are changed because of what they see on social media looking at somebody's instagram post and wanting that life and thinking it's better than the life that is offered in jesus christ a partner seeing a partner is more satisfactory than god there's nothing wrong with a partner folks i'm not saying these things are bad but when they become a priority when they become the thing in our life they become fatal distractions a job promotion I'd love a job promotion I really would more money you know some people see these things 
as the goal. These people in Ephesus were seeing these things as the goal, the things that they thought were better than God. And what is it? It's an itch that they scratch and they move further into. And what does it bring? It brings illness, spiritual illness, which eventually breeds death. And I have to ask these questions this morning. Are you distracted? Are you distracted? Have you heard the falsehoods of the world? As a believer, are you distracted? Believers, we can get distracted too. I can get distracted also. In fact, I can get distracted so often I forget the beauty of the gospel. Are your ears itching for lesser things? Are you unbelieving and wrapped up in the myths and the lies of this world? So as believers we can do, but anyone sat here this morning, if you're not a believer, you are sat in the lies of this world. You see things of this world as more desirable than what God has to offer. And what does Paul relate this to? He relates it to an itch that becomes a wound, that becomes an illness, that becomes death, spiritual death. Will your itch, if you are an unbeliever, turn into a fatal wound? As an unbeliever, your distractions are fatal and you are being blissfully swept further away from God until those distractions carry you to destruction. The Bible calls this hell, separation from God. It's very clear that when we choose something other than our creator who knows what's best for us, this is the destination of those who reject God. And believers, we need to be on guard. We need to be on guard, we need to hear that Christ is sufficient, that we don't need to be turned away by these distractions. So that's fatal distractions. Ephesus was, had many fatal distractions. The people of the church, some of them were being drawn away and the people of Ephesus were blissfully unaware that they were heading to destruction. And Timothy has to deal with this as a leader of the church and he's probably discouraged. What I want to talk about now is how we can be encouraged. Unmerited hearing. Unmerited hearing. What do I mean by that? So isn't it all the more amazing if the tendency and the deficiency of our hearts is to run away from God? That's the natural state of humanity, that we run away from God, that we choose an itch, an evil desire of our heart rather than the one who made us. That was me before I was saved. I chose the things of the world. Isn't it more and more and more amazing that even though that's my natural tendency to, to say no to God, that God would graciously give us ears to hear the gospel. Isn't that amazing? That God would open our ears. And Paul is reminding Timothy of this. He's reminding him, he wants him to remember as he's been preaching the gospel to him throughout the whole of this book and the previous book, that he has had his ears opened graciously and mercifully not given him what he deserves by opening his ear to the beauty of the gospel. Isn't that amazing, folks? If you're sat here as a believer this morning, that he'd make our ears actually hear the beauty of this gospel. 
I want to share three passages with you just to stir our affections for Christ this morning, that he would open our ears. The first one is Mark 7, 31, 35. It's not on there. I will, I will read this for us. This is a passage in the Gospels where Jesus does something miraculous. Let me read it to you. If, if you want to turn there, you can. Mark 7, 31, 35. Then he, that is Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre, I think, and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epapha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. This man had no way of hearing Jesus. His ears were deaf. He could not hear the words that Jesus was preaching to the crowd. He had no ability to hear. And it took Jesus to step in and open his ears. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus speaks and the first voice he hears is Jesus. And it's the first uh, truth that he hears when he opens his ears. That's the same for us. When you became a believer, the truth swept into your ears and opened your mind to the reality of the gospel. Here's another one. Isaiah 29, 18. This is a beautiful, beautiful verse. And this is Isaiah prophesying about what will come. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. We have heard the word of Christ, if you are a believer this morning. And our ears have been graciously opened. Ephesians 2, 1 to 6. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is a different picture that we are dead. A dead person has no ability to raise themselves. That you were dead in your transgressions and sins and in which you used to live when you were followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's exactly what's going on in Timothy's time in Ephesus. These people leaving his church, trying to satisfy that itch. These people of Ephesus, people of Liverpool today, they are walking in disobedience, listening to the, the God of this earth, Satan. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. That's where we were folks before we knew the gospel we were deserving of wrath but but i always say this in pretty much every service uh, sermon that i ever i ever take but that word is a beautiful word because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved and God has raised us up with Christ. And not only just raised us up, he's blessed us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Not only have our ears been opened, we've been raised to life. 
We were dead in our sin and Christ raised us. Humanity had no ability to hear God. Humanity has no ability to raise us back from the dead, our spiritual deadness. But God does the miraculous and he causes men and women to hear just how beautiful the good news of salvation in Christ Jesus is by the supernatural power of drawing them to himself through the Holy Spirit. In fact, not just drawing them, grabbing them from the clutches of death and giving them salvation. And I want to ask this question this morning. Do we recognize often enough how beautiful it is that God chose to open our deaf ears and call us to himself? Do we recognize that? Do we thank him enough for that? I don't. I should. This is what should, ident- should be my identity. Every day I should recognize this. Did you know that God is calling out to you this morning if you are not his? If you're not his, he is calling. He's sharing his gospel this morning. He is calling to you if you are not his, whether you are here this morning or listen online. He is calling to you that your ears will be opened. So we've looked at fatal distractions. People are distracted. They are distracted from the beauty of the gospel. We've looked at um, unmerited hearing that, that Christ would call us. And then because of that, we're called to earnest ministry. Earnest ministry. How does Paul call to Timothy to respond to the neglect of the gospel that he's seeing, not just in his own church, but also in Ephesus, to the big population of Ephesus that he might feel like he is just a drop in this bucket. Verse five, it says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul's not discouraged here. He calls Timothy to be persistent in his ministry. He calls Timothy to stubborn, enduring, persistent, focused, passionate ministry of God's word. That sentence is a call to arms for Timothy. And it's, a, it's not just a call to arms for church leaders, guys. It's not just a call to arms for those who are in positions of eldership or church ministry. That is a call to all of us. It is a call for us to share the gospel, to keep persistent in living and breathing from the word of God. Why? Why does Paul call him to do this? Because when the disease is so grievous and serious, it requires swift action and a cure. Timothy would look out and he would see the grievousness of the disease around him, the disease of sin, the disease of hearing other things as better than Jesus. But Paul calls Timothy to remember that he has the cure. He has the cure. The cure being Jesus Christ. Timothy is a bearer of that cure. The gospel lives within him. And that's the same for us. The same power that lives in Timothy and in Paul the Apostle, these great bearers of the name of Jesus, is the same power and the same gospel that lives within me and you. For us, we must recognise two things in application. 
We must recognize the severe and grievous need of the cure for the deaf ears and the dead hearts around us. What does that look like for us? Well, seeing people spiritually for who they are. Too often, I will look at somebody and just see them as a friend, when in reality, they are a zombie. They are dead in their sin. And I should see them as a friend who needs a saviour. But not only that, we are recipients of the cure in the gospel. That empowers us for our ministry. Being people who carry the cure, we need to be people that are empowered by that gospel and to share that gospel with people. Um, just to share what that looks like then in a situation. All of us sat here will be thinking through our own positions where we are so whether we are an ODP whether we are a teacher uh, whether we uh, go to mothers and tots group I want to share it from I suppose my perspective and maybe you can apply that to yours so for me if you don't know I'm a school teacher um, and I have colleagues and uh, young men and young boys who uh, sit under my uh, teaching uh, unfortunately uh, every single day what does it look like for me to recognise the grievousness and the seriousness of the situation there but also to recognise that I am actually the light in that darkness because of Christ living through me what does it look like I've got to recognise that school is my Ephesus I suppose I've got to realise that Timothy being planted in Ephesus that was his place to minister that was his place to remain faithful to the word of God well that's the same for me in school Ephesus was spiritually dead my colleagues my students many of them are spiritually dead people they are hard of hearing they seek to satisfy their own itches which are opposed to God but there is a cure. Every time I walk through those doors in the morning, I should realise I have the cure. Because of Jesus living in me, I am a bearer of that cure. Jesus Christ is the cure. So, for one example, um, and I don't do it well, and I, I just want to share one thing that I did um, that was an opportunity for bare light into darkness. I was leading a seminar for the teachers who teach the PSHCE stuff, um, which is your um, learning for life stuff. It's uh, something that I train up teachers to teach their forms. Um, and at the end, I shared a passage from Proverbs on how to train men up so that they will continue um, in that uh, when they grow older. So I took the opportunity to share scripture into their lives it was a small thing and I probably did it very nervously but God would have used that moment whether it would have to, been to potentially push people away from him if that's what, how God would use it then glory to him but if it were to draw people and build stepping stones and maybe they won't maybe I will never see my colleagues saved maybe I will never see 
uh, any of the boys in my school testify faith. But maybe one day in heaven, when I walk through those pearly gates, maybe I will see one of them who later on in their lives, they gave their life to Christ. They turned away from the itches of this world. And that might have been something that the Lord might have used. So in season, out of season, whether it's a time where we're seeing fruit born, whether it's a time where we're not seeing anything, whether it feels like a desert, we keep preaching the word and we remain faithful to the word of God and we don't change it because it's perfect. And everything that is needed to save souls is in Jesus Christ, isn't it? And we need to believe that. I am to fulfill my ministry in school. You are to fulfill your ministry wherever that may be to shine light into darkness to continue to be used by God to save people I'm on a bit of a Hollywood theme this morning because I've got another analogy from a film to share I don't know whether any of you have seen Hackshaw Ridge and actually it's quite poignant the day that we're on at this moment in World War II uh, this is a real story and it was um, it was shown in a brilliant movie um, called Hackshaw Ridge uh, in uh, the campaign in Japan that the Americans uh, took on, there was a, uh, a, a, a physical barrier called Hackshaw Ridge where the, uh, the Americans would have to literally climb up this ridge and take on the bunkers that the Japanese had dug so well into. And it was a bloodbath. It was horrific. And men and women gave their lives to... Um, to give us the, the peace that we, we have today or the relative peace that we have today. And there was this one man, he was a conscientious objector. That means that he would not fight, he would not bear arms, but he wanted to save his country. So he went as a medic and he would not even pick up a gun and he was, he was um, lambasted by his colleagues, by his peers, but he went there. And in the film, there's this beautiful scene of this man, Desmond Doss, this real life character who... As a Christian, he was a, um, he was a Christian and a man of God. And as he was up there after the, uh, the Americans have fled multiple times after this time where he was left on the ridge by himself, he saw the need and he reached out to the, the Americans and the Japanese. He going to heal these men and take them back to wherever they needed to be. And there's a, there's a, uh, in a documentary uh, where the, the, the producers of this film, they listened to Desmond Doss, uh, and this was what he kept saying. Please, Lord, help me get one more. Help me get one more. As believers, we should have that attitude, shouldn't we? Please, Lord, help me get one more. Whenever we go into school, whenever we go into the hospital, whenever we, um, whenever we um, go into the uh, women's uh, toddlers group or uh, whether we um, go to social services or whatever it is, they are, it's important we do our job well. But the priority is to share the beauty of the gospel that we heard, that he graciously and mercifully gave to us. Isn't that the priority? Why? Because our saviour with his nailed bloody hands, gave everything for us to rescue us. 
so that we can be a part of this great rescue mission. The beauty of his gospel opened our ears. And he'll keep opening ears. He will. We must believe that on Lark Lane, he will keep opening ears. We want to be a part of that, don't we? We want to be a part of that. Timothy was discouraged, I'm sure he was. But Paul said, keep preaching the word. Keep remaining faithful to the word of God. And so should we. If we're in a season of where we're seeing fruit being born, if we're in a season of not seeing fruit being born, be encouraged that Christ opened your ears anyway. What a blessing that is. And then also we have this amazing mission to be a part of. I'm excited. I'm excited, folks, about how God's going to use this church, how God's working individually in our lives already. Do we recognize our calling? Do we see the need? Do we see the great gift we've been given that we can testify to? We want to share this gift, this gift of Jesus Christ with the world. Shall we pray? And uh, then we'll go into communion. Father God, thank you for uh, the, perf the perfect word that you have given us. Thank you for Paul's admonishment and service to Timothy, that he called him to remain faithful to the word, to preach the word to fulfill his ministry. And Father, I pray the same for us this morning. You graciously opened our ears to the beauty of your Saviour, Jesus Christ. And Father, I, I thank you that we get to take part in your mission. Father God, for this nation, for this, this um, city, for this lane, for this area around here, would you, would you cure the itch of so many people who are walking away from you? Lord, if there's anyone here this morning, I pray that you would cure the itch, Lord, that they would hear the beauty of Jesus Christ, that he is more than satisfactory to all their needs. Father, thank you for him. As we go into communion here, we thank you for your son, that he gave everything for us, that he bled and died and rose again in victory, and that we are victorious in him also. Father, we thank you and we pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.